Today's show is sponsored by Public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express, too. So, if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing. Member FINRA SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high-yield-account. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week. What's the state of corporate governance? The deficit is a real issue. The U.S. economy continues to send mixed signals. The financial stories that shape our world. Fed action to calm concerns over dollar liquidity. Some encouraging China data. The 500 wealthiest people in the world. Through the eyes of the most influential voices. Larry Summers, the former Treasury Secretary. Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson. SEC Chairman Jay Clayton. Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. The virus may be reaching its peak, and the markets get their hopes up at least for a day or two. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week. I'm David Weston. Welcome back. Another week of the coronavirus, and the disease continues to spread as the death toll mounts. But there was this week a glimmer of hope as numbers started to come down in Italy and Spain, and even here in New York, the epicenter, we saw what may be a plateauing of the numbers. There's also a lot of economic pain being felt by individuals and businesses, but again, some hope because Congress has appropriated $2 trillion to help the U.S. economy. Nonetheless, former Secretary of Treasury Jack Lew warns that the economic damage in the United States will last long past the time we turn the corner on the health crisis. I think it's quite clear that the economy is taking a very, ser- a very serious hit from this health crisis. Um, and I think one of the things we know uh, is that the economic impact will linger even after we turn the corner on the health crisis. Um, you know, it's going to take a while at best to turn the lights back on. And the government response really needs to be geared at maximizing the chance that we can restart in a smooth way. And that means making sure that people and businesses have what they need during the health crisis, but frankly, making sure that the assistance doesn't stop the minute uh, we go out. Um, A business is going to need money uh, to pay its payroll. People aren't all going to go back to work. I think that, you know, when you look at at extending the benefits for businesses, uh, it's very important to put more money in during the health crisis. It's also already time to start thinking about making sure that when they reopen, they still have the cash flow to support it. 
you know, for state and local governments, they're going to lose revenue going into next year and even the year beyond. And the hole is far deeper than was filled the last time around. They need more uh, stabilization money, and they need more uh, matching money in Medicaid, more FMAP. Individuals are going to need some more assistance, and frankly, we're going to have to do a better job getting automatic payments to people who were left out the first time. You know, people who are uh, on SSI, people who don't file taxes, uh, you know, the legal children, American citizen children of non-citizens. A lot of people were left out. We need to close those gaps. And we need to increase food stamp benefits because that's going to make it possible for people to put food on the table. On top of that, we really uh, need to worry about the rising problem of homelessness. People at the worst possible time are going to have no place to live and there needs to be emergency assistance. Uh, on the business side, uh, it's going to take a lot more money. It's also going to require that we find more ways to get flexibility into the program so that we lend to businesses that have not traditionally borrowed money from banks. That's very hard to do if you hold the bank to standards that apply in normal times, but these are not normal times. Uh, Jack, uh, talk to us about the efforts to really support small business right now. We have this $350 billion. There are reports that there's hard, it's hard for some banks to loan the money because of some anti-money laundering provisions, some restrictions. Does it make sense to ease those up some? Is that a legitimate reason some banks are saying we can't deal with small businesses if we don't know them? It's the know your customer rule. So there have been multiple levels at which the normal rules have to be modified or suspended. So with a federal guarantee, there's no credit risk to the banks, but they still have underwriting risk potentially, and they still have exposure on things like money laundering enforcement. On the underwriting side, uh, if there's any kind of a false statement, that burden has to fall on the business that makes the false statement, and it can't be that the bank is facing after-the-fact oversight on that. If we're asking them to rely on certifications, we are not giving them the time to look behind the certifications that the businesses make. On the AML side, I, I think that they need to be creative and find a solution. Every business that has a bank account has gone through some kind of know-your-customer process. We need to make sure that any business that has a banking account can use the process they went through, whether it's at the bank they're borrowing from or not, to satisfy those KYC requirements. Um, it, we, what we can't afford is we can't afford at the end of this to have failed to loan money to the smallest and most vulnerable businesses, the Main Street businesses, that don't have a history of bank credit. So when the major banks and even the community banks say we're only going to lend to a business that we've already lent to, that rules out the, the businesses that are most likely to fail. And I believe deeply in enforcing things like anti-money laundering rules. So I'm not somebody who's ever been casual on this. I think we have to be creative to find a way to get through that hurdle. Jack, there's talk about whether we need to top this up, so to speak, the, the small business, maybe another $250 billion. Is it time to do that right now and keep the money going out the door, or should we wait and see how it's proceeding, whether it's having an effect in the economy? Well, I, I have to say that the, the whole need for response here is immediate in the sense that we shut the economy down. Uh, we need to make sure that these businesses are there when we open it back up. And if we take too much time to try to get things perfect, which is always my preference, I'd love to be able to say every dot I was dotted, every T was crossed, 
we will look back and regret it because there will be so many business failures that the length of the recovery is extended, the depth of the recession is deepened, and the number of people unemployed lingers at a very high level. Half of American workers are working in small businesses, and we need them to be able to go back to work when the health conditions permit it. So I think time is of the essence. I thought that the funds that were put in this third bill were very helpful, but I didn't think it was adequate at the time when you just look at the number of businesses that are going to need help. So I'm not surprised that they're looking at uh, providing some more assistance. That was former Treasury Secretary Jack Lew. Coming up, she's the woman working side by side with Governor Andrew Cuomo in the battle at the epicenter of the crisis. We talked with Kathy Hochul, Lieutenant Governor for the state of New York. That's next on Wall Street Week on Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. New York has the highest number of cases and the highest number of deaths from the coronavirus. But this week, there were some data coming in that indicated it may be plateauing. We asked Lieutenant Governor for New York, Kathy Hochul, whether in fact this may be a trend. Well, that's exactly right. And you look at trends, you know, certainly one day does not make a trend. We've seen the rate of hospitalization go down. And that is something we've been looking forward to for a while because what that says to us is some of these people may have been in the hospital on ventilators for some time. And if we have fewer people entering the hospital system, fewer going into the ICUs, that this could be a break that we've been looking for but it is far too early for us to change anything we've been doing because we believe that the social distancing that we've put in place aggressively in New York is the reason that these numbers aren't dramatically higher. That seems to be a broad consensus, actually, among public health officials. Do we have any sense of whether people may be starting to back off the social distancing as they hear it's plateaued if it hasn't gone down? Well, plateauing at a high level is not something to uh, you know give a high five over. I mean, these are still very high numbers of people that are testing positive. We have 138,000 people up from 130,000. So I don't think anyone should let down their guard or become complacent because we'll actually end up right back where we started and have to institute this, all these measures once again and delay our recovery, which is something we're all so anxious to get started. So anyone who thinks that plateauing at a high level is declaring success is wrong and they're not listening to the governor and myself as we sound the alarm that as the weather gets nice and we're approaching the the holiday season, the Passover, the Seders, uh, Easter Sunday, there will be tremendous temptation to say, well, we haven't seen grandma in a month. Let's go visit our family. Don't do it. Don't take our foot off the pedal as we're heading into the final stretch here because this is what is saving us. And if we back off now, this will all have been in vain. Lieutenant Governor Hochul, give us a sense of how the health care system is holding up. The hospitals, by all accounts, are at or even beyond their maximum capacity. How long can they keep up this pace? Well, this has been a problem. The governor has addressed it in three dynamics. Here. One is how many hospital beds. And we went from 53,000 hospital beds when this crisis started to, because of the governor's aggressive efforts to increase capacity and get assistance from the federal government, we now have 90,000 beds available. But those beds don't mean anything if you don't have enough staff and supplies. On the staffing front, as predicted, our, our, our superhero frontline individuals who are in there taking care of the sick and people in the ICUs in particular, they are also succumbing. Many of them are becoming ill, and they've been away from their families for a long time, and, and there's a probably high burnout, but they go, keep getting at it, 
going at it once and again and again and again. But now we have a reserve of 7,000 people who've been hired from the incredible outpouring of volunteers from all over this country. 7,000 people have been hired by hospitals recently because they stepped up. Many of them had been retired and people from all over America. So we feel good about that part. The supplies, the governor would say that we have the no hospital is going for one for a ventilator, which is so important, but that's also a concern of ours because any spike in a particular region could require even a higher intensely intense number of ventilators. Look at what's happening in Suffolk County, for example, on Long Island or Nassau County. They need ventilators more than they did even a week ago, and so we're, we're constantly redeploying resources to make sure that the hospitals can handle the surge in their area and leaving no area unprotected. That's been our goal all along. So, Lieutenant Governor Hochul, we are, we hope, at or nearing at least the apex, and so we're very much in the crisis, and we don't know, as Governor Cuomo said, what's on the other side of that. And so we don't want to get ahead ourselves, as you said. We don't want to encourage people to really go out and do away with social distancing. But it's not too soon for the government to start thinking about when and how we even think about starting to get back to work. Are you working on what that plan looks like? How we'd, Obviously, we're not going to just let everybody go. It has to be staged. Is there a plan being developed for New York? Absolutely. And what the governor and I agree with is that it also comes down to testing. We don't want to declare that it's safe for people to go back to work unless we can test and find out certainly the first wave of people would be people who've already had the coronavirus and overcame it and are now healthy again and people who developed the antibodies. But we're only going to know for sure if we can have widespread testing, which because of a number of issues with the federal government early on and a lack of testing capacity as well as just the basic supplies, the, the swabs you need, the reagents you need. We've had a shortage of those, but if we can get the federal government to ramp up production of these necessary supplies so we can have rapid testing, I mean, there, is, there are opportunities for us to have a result literally in a doctor's office in five minutes, 15 minutes, a half an hour, depending on the type of materials used. But we have to get to that point in order for us to feel confident that we're just not having a downward trend that's going to spike up again, uh, as has happened when we study past pandemics, certainly the 1918 Spanish flu. We don't want to end up with a six-month phenomenon, which is what happened there, and we lost 60,000 New Yorkers. We have been very proactive in preventing that scenario because of the steps Governor Cuomo has taken, and other states are following our lead, and we're proud of that. But we also have to talk about what it's going to take to get individual industries back but in addition to that, David, I have been focused as chair of all the state regional economic development councils overseeing economic development. I've already been in contact with the statewide chambers of commerce, uh, regional representatives from the industries, manufacturing, and others, talking about how we jumpstart the economy once we start going, going full steam ahead. Because there'll be a lot of businesses, a lot of small businesses in particular, that just may not make it. If they can't get the assistance they need right. from the federal government, they need a lifeline now or they are, they're gone forever. And all the work that we've done in the state to reduce unemployment, to increase jobs, to have more right. investments in economic development, we don't want to lose where we've gone. So I'm already thinking about that and having the conversations literally as we speak. Critically important. One last question, specifically on testing. Do you have a sense of how far we are away in terms of time to have the required testing to really make the move to start opening up? No, we just don't have the capacity yet. And if we could get the federal government to invoke the Defense Production Act and have widespread testing materials created, 
we could, we'd be in a much better place. So we, the governor has, in, in the absence of that action being taken, the governor has working is working with uh, the governors of our regional, um, our tri-state area, New Jersey and Connecticut, to talk about incentivizing businesses to really ramp up production because these three states are really interconnected. I mean, they're all basically suburbs of each other, and, and New York is at the, the epicenter of all that. And so it doesn't even matter for us in New York City to say we have a policy, but if workers are coming right. from Connecticut who haven't been tested or coming in from New Jersey, yep. then we're not going to get ahead of this. So uh, right. we're not there yet, but right. we know what we need to do to get to that place. That was New York Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul. Coming up, he runs the hospital system at the center of the New York City crisis. We talk with Dr. Steve Corwin, CEO of New York Presbyterian. That's next on Wall Street Week on Bloomberg. Today's show is sponsored by Public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express, too. So, if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing, member FINRA SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high-yield-account. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. New York Presbyterian is more than just a huge hospital on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. It actually incorporates 10 different hospitals and over 200 clinics in the greater New York area. We talked with the CEO, he is Dr. Steve Corwin, about exactly where we are in this epidemic right now. You know, uh, I, I have to tell you that our staff has just been remarkable. We've redeployed 2,000 physicians. 1,000 nurses, uh, 500 uh, general workers. Uh, we've gotten 2,000 people to volunteer. We have people, we have pediatric nurses uh, delivering ICU care. We have our chief of dermatology uh, functioning in the, in the emergency room. Uh, we have our chief of uh, cardiothoracic surgery functioning as an ICU doc. Uh, people are just going to extraordinary lengths. Uh, it's, it's really remarkable. How sustainable is it over the long haul? It's not. Uh, but we think we can pull through this crisis and that we're not going to break. Well, that's very encouraging news. When you talk, Dr. Corbett, about redeploying people, I think you're talking within New York Presbyterian. We also hear from Governor Cuomo a lot about redeploying physicians and nurses and other healthcare professionals among different hospitals as they reassign. Is that working well? Are you giving people to other people? Are they giving them to you? I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, our One of our affiliated institutions, Hospital for Special Surgery, they stopped all their elective surgery. Uh, a lot of the, They've assigned a lot of their nurses uh, and physicians to us, so that's an example of volunteerism. We've had people from around the country volunteer. We were on the phone with 
uh, Mark Larratt from University of California, San Francisco. He's putting a team together for us. So the response around the country, the American spirit, uh, has really been uh, remarkable and very heartwarming for me. And, and do you have a sense of how it's going in New Jersey, for example, our adjacent state here? They seem to be really still on their way up. Uh, are they asking for help as well? You know, David, I, I don't know the specifics in New Jersey. I know that Governor Murphy said that they were on the way up. What I hope is uh, that no state uh, goes through what New York City uh, and, and its surrounding counties are going through now. And I would just urge everybody to, to recognize that the social isolation and stay-at-home orders have been effective. I know in California they've seen uh, much less in the way of this than us uh, here in New York City, and I think part of that may have been an earlier application of the stay-at-home that Governor Newsom did. And I'm hoping other states follow suit on that. So, Steve, that really leads us naturally to the next question. And we want to be careful with this question because we don't want to declare victory too soon and go back to a bad old situation. But we are starting to talk about now a plan at some point in the right situation to start reopening some of the economy. How do we develop yep. that plan? Uh, how do we make sure that we don't revert at, at the same time as we have to go forward? Well, that's the million-dollar question. Uh, I think that uh, the worst thing we could do would be to start prematurely and then lose the confidence of the American people and have and have to go back to where we uh, where we are. And believe me, I recognize uh, the millions of jobs, uh, the recession that we most assuredly will enter. In whole industries being uh, being stopped, um, the economy basically uh, being stopped as a whole. I think that. Um, you know, my expectation around this is that, uh, it, you know, on or around the, in the June or July time frame, we're, we're probably going to probably going to uh, do some of that. Um, the way that I would look at it from uh, the personal situation in New York City is when I start seeing the decline and the return more towards normality, we're going to be in sort of phase two, phase one being the upswing. Phase two being we're still living with the virus, but it is more controllable than what it was. And, they, and then phase three, probably, you know, third, fourth quarter, we're talking about uh, can we get back to a more normal situation. As we talk to experts about the possibility of reopening, the thing we hear again and again and again is testing. We have to know whether we really are controlling it sufficiently. Where are we in testing? It appears we are not to the level we need yet of broad testing across the population to really come back safely. I don't think we're, we, we certainly have enough testing. In my hospital system, we have enough testing to test everybody that needs to be tested. But we're not at mass population screening. That's, that's with the PCR test. That's one type of testing. And the second type of testing that everyone's working on is the serologic testing or the antibody testing. Were you infected with it? And does that confer uh, immunity on you? You know, you're still looking at 90% uh, uh, of the population that probably has not been affected by it. Um, so the question starts to become, uh, do you get some herd immunity? Do we have evidence of that? Are we sure that if you've been infected and have you you have the antibodies that you're not going to get reinfected with it? These are still scientific questions to be determined. But I think, to your question, we need more testing, the PCR testing. Do you have the virus or don't you have the virus? And we're going to need to apply the serologic testing to determine what percentage of the population actually was infected by it. And, and are we starting to develop herd immunity uh, as a country? That was Dr. Steve Corwin of New York Presbyterian Hospital. Coming up on Wall Street Week, we wrap up the week with our special contributor, Larry Summers. This is Wall Street Week. 
on Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. One of the big events of the week, maybe the big event of the week, was that massive infusion from the Federal Reserve as they touched upon almost every aspect of the economy and markets. We talked with Rick Reeder from BlackRock, where he is the global CIO for fixed income as well as head of cross-asset allocation. We talked to Rick Reeder and we asked him whether the markets were actually overreacting to what the Fed had to do. This is what Rick had to say. You know, markets tend to overshoot. Um, but, you know, I, I think when you when this is a very, very unique circumstance, it's different than OA, different than maybe any other crisis, and that we do think the economy is going to rebound. And we do think, I mean, listen, we think you could have a second quarter that is something like an annualized run rate of, of 30% decline in the economy, but we think third quarter, 12% up, fourth quarter, you get 8% up, and then next year, you know, we're going to have the stimulus will still be working through the system. You'll have a pretty good GDP number. We think over 5% the year after. So, listen, I think the markets are right. We, you know, the markets shouldn't go back to where they were. But, uh, but getting, you're getting closer to factoring in the, uh, you know, what's happened and this immense amount of stimulus that I think, is, uh, that I think the markets are rightfully uh, adjusting to. So, 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 Rick, uh, how is the way you put money to work different than it was yesterday, given what the Fed's done? Uh, it's, a big, it's, a, it's a big deal. I mean, you were the way you thought about, you know, if you were a triple A asset because the Fed was getting at that, if you were a high quote that, that you were in good shape, if you were investment grade uh, bondholder, credit holder, you were in pretty good shape because the Fed was there, certainly in mortgages. But you've now extended this and, and that, you know, the high yield market, it's definitely supportive of companies, not just the high yield market, but a lot of the triple B companies that are going to go into high yield that those actually become a lot safer. The CLO market or the loan market generally, you know, with the Fed providing what is functionally, you know, not to get too technical around what's happened, uh, but the Fed going into that CLO market, the AAA part of the CLO market, lifts a lot of what was blockage in the system around loans. So that gives you a lot more comfort. And, you know, quite frankly, you know, I think the equity market reacts to what is stable financial conditions and a bridge from here to there. And so to take on some, some more equity risk, I think is, uh, you know, makes some sense. And, you know, we're doing, I think like a lot of people, we've been running high levels of cash in our portfolios and because the uncertainty was so great, given how much stimulus is coming in from fiscal as well as the monetary side, you can take a little bit of that cash. You still should run high levels of cash, but you can spend some of that money that was Rick Reeder of BlackRock. And now we wrap up our week as we do every week with our very special Wall Street Week contributor, Larry Summers of Harvard. And of course, he was a former Secretary of the Treasury. Welcome back, Larry. L- let's get a sense of exactly where we are, not just today, but look around the corner a little bit. What are the next turns in this crisis as far as we can discern them? We hear the Fed did something really good for the markets. At the same time, we also heard this week so many tenants, for example, not being able to pay their April rent. I think the what the Fed did is surely right for the short run. I think it's a mistake always to think that the provision of liquidity can override fundamentals and that lending money can fill fundamental gaps. We're having no revenue effectively for a large number of retail establishments. We're having no revenue for many landlords, uh, residential uh, landlords. 
we don't know how this is going to play out. Tenants aren't going to pay landlords. In many cases, Staples, for example, said not going to pay landlords at all. What about landlords? Landlords are all levered way up. Are they going to pay banks? If they don't pay banks, are, are banks going to be able to meet their liabilities given the depletion of their capital? How's that going to end? The Fed can make a lot of loans, and then it can somebody can decide where the seniority of those loans is relative to other claims. But a substantial part of this is surely going to end up back on taxpayers, and there may well be some very substantial uncertainties along the way. So I don't think this is resolving problems. This is postponing uh, problems, and we're going to see how they get dealt with uh, over time. I'm not sure what the answer is going to be. As a practical matter, do we have to have a massive bankruptcy across the country? I mean, already bankruptcy lawyers are being called up left, right, and center uh, because this is going to go through pretty much the entire economy, it feels like. We're going to need a large amount of restructuring of debts, whether that's going to take place through bankruptcy, whether that's going to take place through negotiations in the shadow of possible bankruptcy, whether that's going to take place uh, by the government taking on the debts and then for and then forbearing on collection indefinitely i don't know how that's going to work out but mm-hmm. there's going to need to be the mother of all debt workouts right. the kind of thing that we saw in the financial sector in 2008 right. we're going to be seeing over very large parts of the real economy and that's going to bounce back into uh the financial sector right. so This mother of all workouts is going to play out uh, for a substantial period of time, even if the recovery is as rapid as Rick Reeder hopes, and I'm not sure that's going to actually play out. And Larry, what about the virus itself and our fight against the virus? And we've had some encouraging signs, some initial encouraging signs. At the same time, people are really talking already about getting back to work. What is that process going to look like from your point of view? Look, I, I think the grisly metaphor that's right for this is physical isolation is chemotherapy and uh, the goal is remission and you can apply chemotherapy and you can achieve remission the problem is that chemotherapy is toxic and increasingly toxic over time and when you let up on the chemotherapy you can lose the remission The hope is that we're going to be able to let up on the physical isolation. And when we do that, we're going to have, we're going to put in some testing and some tracing of contacts. And then we're all going to be able to live in a pretty normal way. I hope that's the story prior to a vaccine and that a vaccine comes fast. But I think we'll be doing very well if it's a year from now when we've got everybody vaccinated. And I think it's more likely to be 18 uh, months uh, from now, though I hope I'm wrong. And I think that if you look at the Asian success stories, they are a little less optimistic when probed closely 
Singapore has already lost its remission and had to go to lockdown. No one really knows what the situation would be if you had externally observed and collected data in uh, China. In Taiwan, which is, has been a success so far, they seem to have a essentially total remission. Every time you walk into an office building, they make you take your temperature and they make you apply hand sanitizer. The government's able to track every everybody's movements so that if a week ago you were in a restaurant at the same time that somebody who came down with um, the virus, you can be uh, moved into quarantine immediately. Those are going to be challenging things uh, to do uh, in our country, and if we fall short, um, then we're at much more risk of uh, relapse. So my guess is that it's going to be a little less freed up and back to normal when this current wave ends than people think, and that there's going to be a greater risk of rebound and back to lockdown and a kind of accordion dynamic till we get to the point where a vaccine or cure uh, comes along. I hope I'm wrong, and it's certainly possible uh, that, I, that I will be. Uh, earlier, I thought that if the health situation was under control, you could have a fairly rapid recovery of the kind that you have um, when uh, a resort town comes back for the summer. And I still think that's right. I just don't think it's relevant because I think the virus is going to be a very substantial overhang until we get to uh, the point where we have a vaccine. And so the question is going to be this remission chemotherapy uh, dynamic, and we're going to be managing it uh, at, least for the at least for the next year. And it puts a lot of pressure on the competence question that you've raised before. The question is whether we really are competent to do that. It certainly does. It certainly does, David. And there's a lot of very good, very energetic, very capable work being done at the micro level on the ground in hospitals and communities all across uh, the country. Um, whether there is that level of competence in the overall strategic uh, planning, right. whether there could be, right. given the way we've right. allowed our public institutions to atrophy, yes. is, I think, a yep. very real yep. uh, question. Yep. Great. Great question. Thank you so much to Larry Summers, our Wall Street Week contributor. That does it for Wall Street Week for this week. I'm David Weston. We hope you'll join us next week. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.